you could turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, this is our final week of being in Isaiah chapter 9. As we open God's word, let's also now go to him in prayer, asking for his blessing. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we are blind until you open our eyes. We are deaf until you open our ears. We are dull and ignorant until you open our minds with understanding and our hearts are cold and closed until you warm them and open them. Indeed, you give us new hearts. So Father, indeed, now would you open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts that we would know what we are to believe about you and also what duty you ask of your people. And Father, as we go about doing our duty, enable us to do it with a humble reliance upon the grace of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this time of year, um, even if you try to avoid it, uh, you can't. You hear questions out there, uh, what do people want? Uh, What are people hoping to get? Well, there are probably many things. It changes year to year, doesn't it? But maybe there's one thing that really doesn't change. It's always on someone's list. Something that's not just quite common, but maybe universal across the board everywhere. I think it's this, what people want, what people hope to get is this, for conflict to end. Conflict to end in the home, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the church, indeed between nations. Uh, I remember growing up, um, I would hear this expression, uh, I'm tired, sometimes my dad would say, and and I just want some peace and quiet. Anybody ever said that? I'm tired and I just want some peace and quiet. People really do want peace on earth in general, and they want peace in their lives in particular. Now, back in 1955 in California, Uh, a husband and wife songwriting team had a desire for this kind of worldwide peace. And they thought maybe, just maybe, by writing a song that they could, in fact, um, help create an atmosphere of world peace. Now, of course, that was during the the time of the Cold War where maybe nuclear uh, war threat loomed over and there was this desire for, for peace. And 180 teenagers came together at this, uh, at this retreat, and this songwriting co- couple not only uh, let, uh, wrote this song, but they, they led this retreat, a, a longing for peace, and they came up with this song, and most of you have heard it. In fact, if you were here this past Sunday evening, you heard it, Let There Be Peace on Earth. Now, this does express a universal sentiment, doesn't it? A universal longing for peace. But there's just one small problem with this song. Because that song continues, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. That's a problem with this song. It's a small problem in the song, but it's a huge problem for us. Because 
Peace cannot begin with us. We cannot create peace. If anything, it's not the making of peace that begins with us, but it's the breaking of peace that begins with us. And yet, interestingly, there was someone listening last Sunday night, and they came up and talked to me afterwards, and they said, really? Peace can't begin with me? I thought that I'm always supposed to be the peacemaker in a conflict. I'm always supposed to to, to live at peace with everyone. And you know, they're right. We are called to be peacemakers and peacekeepers, living at peace. But you know what? That peace we can't generate. It has to come from the outside. Peace on earth and peace in our lives, true lasting peace has to come from the outside. It doesn't begin with us, but certainly it has to come to us. And that takes us back to Isaiah chapter 9, where we're in the fourth of four. What's in a name? The fourfold name of King Jesus. Children, 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, Isaiah the prophet was commissioned by God to to instruct and warn and encourage God's people. And Isaiah, many would see him as the fifth evangelist because he wrote about the coming Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he spoke about who Jesus was going to be and what he would come to do. So join with me now as I read Isaiah 9, verses 1. I'm going to read all seven. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Beginning in verse 6, we heard a child is born, a human child is born, a son is given, a divine son is given. Here is the mystery of the incarnation, Jesus Christ fully human and fully divine. These royal names that we just heard read indeed express divine and human qualities. Wonderful counselor and mighty God provide assurance that he is Emmanuel, God with us. 
An everlasting Father and a Prince of Peace announce the conditions that He will bring. He will bring fatherly care and He will bring peace. You heard a moment ago military language about battle and you heard political language, uh, governments, and the context of that day and age in the life of God's people. But in the context points to a spiritual reality. A movement from war to peace. A movement from darkness to light. Now who is Isaiah referring to when he writes? Is he referring to the king of Israel or the king of Judah or a ruler to come? But when you think about these royal titles, nothing like this was said even of David's greatest king, David, or any other king. This description surpasses ordinary Boundaries. It requires a figure who is both God and man. Emmanuel, God with us, the promised Messiah. The human child and this divine son is the one who has wisdom and power to care for his people. And we see that he's a ruler. He's a prince, the prince of peace. Now, why was this particular title included? What does it mean? What's in this Name of the coming Messiah, Jesus who would come, the King who would come. Well, the coming King will not and indeed cannot arrive empty-handed. In his two hands, as it were, he brings two gifts. As Prince of Peace, the King brings with him two gifts. The first gift is the peace, is peace with God. And the second gift is the peace of God. Well, let's take a few moments now to unwrap and open these gifts and let us be together astonished by their beauty. The king brings peace with God. The king, under the title the Prince of Peace, brings peace with God. Let me ask you guys a question Who is your greatest enemy? Who is your greatest enemy? Have you ever thought about that question? Well, until someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, their greatest enemy is God. You see, people were created to be ruled by God, but because of our fall into sin, instead we seek to rule ourselves. We seek to be king of our own lives. And therefore, we rely on our own wisdom and our own power. And understandably, we seek our own autonomy and our own independence. Instead of running to God and walking with Him, we run from God and we don't have peace with Him or with others. Lives are unsettled, anxious, and worried, and we see that in the very description of the fall of man into sin, where peace with God was um, was uh, was uh, destroyed, and it destroyed, as it were, the peace on the horizontal level as well. Instead, men and women who aren't trusting in Jesus Christ attempt to find peace in other things, in possessions, in power, in performance, in prestige. It's a pseudo-peace. It's a false peace. It may last for a while, but it's not lasting deep peace. 
So the first question was, who is your greatest enemy? Well, let's ask this question. Who is your greatest ally? It's like the board games, you know, Axis and allies. Your greatest enemy, your greatest friend. Who's your greatest ally? Well, for those who are trusting in Jesus, Jesus is your greatest ally because he's the one who makes peace between God and man. That's what many of our hymns at Advent and his birth are talking about. Only the God-man could do this. It's the incarnation, the one mediator between God and man. And that's why Paul writes Timothy, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 2, we heard earlier read that Jesus is peace. Jesus makes peace and Jesus preaches peace. And in Colossians 1, Paul writes this, that Jesus by making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus makes peace. Robert Lethem in his book, The Work of Christ, says this, by his propitiatory sacrifice, that is, exhausting the wrath of God, by his propitiatory sacrifice on the cross, Christ has brought us out of a state of enmity with God into friendship. The original fellowship that Adam enjoyed with God before the fall has been restored. We are now at peace with him. Do you see that? God at one time was our biggest enemy. And then here's the work of Christ and here's people trusting in the work of Christ, trusting in Jesus. And the biggest enemy becomes, as he says, friendship, friends. The work of Christ. So what's so great about this peace with God, this supreme level of peace that is higher and wider and deeper than any false pseudo-peace that we can come up with? Well, in Romans 1 we read, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what is it we have? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A leader of the 18th century revival in England, William Romain, who was born in 1714 in his classic work on faith entitled The Life, Walk, and Triumph of Faith, said this, No sin can be crucified either in heart or life unless it be first pardoned in conscience, because there will be want of faith to receive the strength of Jesus by whom alone it can be crucified. If it not be mortified in its guilt, it cannot be subdued in its power. In other words, if you're not confident, if if you don't believe that you are dead to sin's guilt through forgiveness, then you cannot trust in God for the strength to subdue its power in your life. In other words, peace with God, or as we read in Romans 5, 1, justification is the foundation of sanctification. There is an order and there is a relationship. The declaration of righteousness precedes the demonstration of growing righteousness for the one trusting in Jesus. And so if we don't believe that we are at peace with God We can't make progress in becoming more and more, as it were, like Jesus. 
In Luke 2, which is read often this time of year, we remember that peace was announced by the angels. But salvation and peace was also seen by old man Simeon, who said that he could depart in peace. He had seen, he had waited for God's salvation, he had seen it, and he could depart in peace. How about you all? Can you depart as it were? Will you be able to depart from this worship service in peace? Will you be able to, uh, uh, to read the scriptures and pray and depart in peace? Have you waited for the salvation of the Lord? Have you seen the salvation of the Lord? Because at its heart, salvation is peace. Peace with God. But it is so sad and it is so tragic that so many people seek the peace of God without first seeking peace with God. They want His benefits. They just don't want Him. They want the gifts and not the giver. They're like the elder brother who didn't recognize that he had a relationship with his father. All he could see was the unfairness of his brother's actions and his father's so-called response to that. Now, as Prince of Peace, the king who comes bring with him, brings with him not only peace with God, but also the gift of peace of God. So let's turn our attention now to this gift and let's unwrap it and let's gaze upon its beauty as well. The king brings the peace of God. Here we go, as it were, from the objective to the subject from the vertical to the horizontal. In Christ, you have eternal peace with God. And because of this, you have the peace of God. Jesus brings eternal, everlasting peace. And it comes down vertically, so to speak, and it expands horizontally. It's peace in the midst of trouble. The peace of God does not mean the absence of trouble. Rather, it means peace in trouble. We read in John 14, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In John 16, we read Jesus saying this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You've heard me say this before, but it's true. We live in the already and the not yet. We live in the tension between Christ's first advent and his promised second advent. Imagine yourself on a boat, or excuse me, imagine yourself in rough water, raging, turbulent water. Those of you that have been to sea in the Navy, you know what it's like, the thought of falling overboard. It's a scary thought. But imagine that you indeed are in the raging waters and a boat comes along and you get rescued out of the raging water and you are now in the boat. 
You're in the boat, as it were, with Jesus. But guess what? The water is still raging. The water is still turbulent. You remember the disciples? Jesus was with them, and yet they were afraid. And when he spoke and calmed the wind and the waves, they were actually even more terrified because they, they saw a greater power with them than the ones of the waves and wind. And Jesus calmed them in many ways to, to, to show them his power and strength and to strengthen their faith. So in this in-between time of the already and the not yet, we're as it were out of the water. We're in the boat with Jesus, but where is the boat? The boat is still in the raging sea in the water. Peace, as it were, in the midst of difficulty and trial and trouble. And this peace is further described by Paul when he writes in Philippians 4, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is given to you and peace works for you. It works to guard you, the whole you, your hearts and your minds, your affections and your intellect. Going back to the song, there can be no peace between people unless there is peace within people. And there is no peace within people until they are at peace with God. It's a good question to ask. Are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? The Prince of Peace rescues and restores you. And the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, that prince of peace captures it all. It's a fitting way to end this royal description of the coming king. So in our text, Isaiah shows us two gifts from God. Peace with God and the peace of God. Peace doesn't begin with us, but it comes to us. Peace is the gift of God that we don't achieve, but rather we receive. In just a little bit, we'll hear the Aramaic blessing from Numbers 6. And how does it end? And give you peace. And give you peace. There indeed is joy and peace in believing. Peace with God, the peace that ends the war. God wins in defeating Satan. We surrender. We surrender. The war is over. And yet the peace of God is the peace that starts the war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because being at peace with God means that you are at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The peace of of God comes to us as we fight by God's power and by his spirit the war against sin both within us and outside us in the world around us brothers and sisters we cannot know this peace apart from the prince of peace only when he rules our hearts and with our minds trained and the desires of our heart constrained by his word, only then will we see the fruit of peace in our lives. And remember from Isaiah 9, it's a peace that is progressive. It's increasing. It's perpetual. It's eternal. It will not end. 
Because as the government of Jesus increases, peace increases. As Jesus more and more dominates your life, my life, the life of this church, peace increases and peace begins to dominate. To be sure, there will be conflict. To be sure, difficulty. But like water flows downhill, it'll flow to peace. Peace, the peace of the Prince of Peace. It's a peace of justice and righteousness. It's peace the way that life should be and one day forever will be. And how can we say this? It's guaranteed because we read the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's certain. It's absolutely sure. Some of you, as we end now, may be familiar with this statement of Augustine, an early church father of the 4th and 5th centuries. Augustine said this, For thou hast made us for thyself, and restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. In other words, he's saying, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I think Augustine was on to something. He saw the scriptures of this peace that Jesus alone brings. And he saw the restlessness of his own life. And he saw the peace that only came through surrender. Surrender to the Savior. Well, that was a quote, a statement from Augustine. Let's end with a prayer from Augustine. One that most certainly comes out of his awareness and study of all of God's Word and quite probably due to his familiarity with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So let's conclude this message from God's Word with this prayer. O loving God, to turn away from you is to fall. To turn toward you is to rise, and to stand before you is to abide forever. Grant us, dear Lord, in our duties, your help. In all our uncertainties, your guidance. In all our dangers, your protection. And in our sorrows, your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.